This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. edition of Total Saints Podcast, your weekly pod going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Yes, ahead of the first international break during Premier League fixturing, we're back with a look at the last seven days and the upcoming period in and around Southampton Football Club. The best club on the South Coast, certainly compared to, quote, small clubs like Portsmouth. A great credit to Good Morning Bitten for, of course, getting that one in live on TV Tuesday morning. Anyway, certainly not small in relation to TSP regular panel status. It's Steve, Glenn and Dan. Evening, chaps. Evening, Evening, evening. Don't sound more excited than I thought you might have done. But uh, Steve, um, what's the most exciting thing that's happened in your week this week since the last pod? Um, oh God, not a lot really. Um, no, this week's been quite dull. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah, it's pretty tedious. Um, other than getting to actually watch some, well, watch some different football um, yesterday. That was that was all right. Although, albeit via via the uh, the medium of the internet rather than actually being in person, because you know, um, 600 people st- um, stood outside is a is a problem. Whereas you you're perfectly fine putting 3,000 people inside a concert hall. <laughs> um, was that Saturday night? Was it? Yes. I saw they won. Yes, was it three 0 They won, did they? Yeah, good good win against Maidenhead, who they usually get battered by. So that was uh, that was good to break the hoodoo. I mean, it just kind of shows how mental that 2020 is when when they're getting a result against them. To be honest. <laughs> no, absolutely. And uh, Glenn, obviously you've been on the crest of a wave since showcasing to the world your Sean Dice impression in TSP uh, 130 <laughs> last week. Uh, <laughs> although, as I understand it, Glenn, one of your friends has since said uh, it sounds more like uh, the talking dog from 1970. So obviously, one for our older listeners, magazine style. I had to look it up. TV show. That's life. Is that right? Um, apparently so. Apparently so. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. I, I didn't really practice it very 
very much beforehand. Um, wasn't expecting it to be very good. And when I listened back, I realised that it wasn't remotely like Sean Dyche. But I think we, you know, we got the effect that we were looking for. So uh, yeah. happy days. No, exactly. yeah, if, it's, if it sounded like a, if it sounded like a talking dog, then fair enough. At least it sounded like something. Exactly. Yeah. So a, a sort of line between that and uh, Andre Villas Boas. I remember always had the same issue, didn't he? But uh, yeah, it's amazing where this pod goes sometimes. Uh, talking dogs and all that sort of thing. Um, Dan, back to reality. Um, it's the closing stages of the transfer window, of course. At the time of recording, there's just over 24 hours to go. When we caught up earlier in the week to see how you were getting on with everything, I think stressful was the word you used, Dan. I suppose there's so many moving goalposts and speculation and contacts to follow up with. It's hard to get to the bottom of uh, the truth of some of it, is it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I must admit, I'm not. I can see from a supporter's point of view why the transfer window you know, it's quite an exciting time of the year. But I mean, personally, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it. It's kind of, you know, you've got so many people telling you different things all about the same person or player. Uh, and it's trying to like separate, well, who's trying to push an agenda here and who isn't. Um, yeah, it's very, uh, very stressful. Not as glamorous as you may think. <laughs> No, well, fingers crossed that, as I say, it'll be, uh, hopefully from a Saints point of view, fairly busy 24 hours or so. I'm on uh, deadline day GT again for the BBC Sports team and uh, site tomorrow covering Saints, of course. So hopefully there'll be uh, something positive to communicate because it's normally like just sitting there with tumbleweed drifting past you, to be honest. But uh, moving forward to this uh, pod's agenda, we'll be reflecting on Saints' latest game, the 2-0 win against West Bromwich Albion. We'll also touch on the upcoming international games, potentially involving Saints players, and we'll provide the latest view on our TSP, FPL and TSP patrons only fantasy premier leagues as well as of course Ibrahima Diallo and the aforementioned transfer deadline day expectations before we get going we're pleased to give another shout out to a new or should I say returning patron Jeremy Caron Jeremy thanks for signing up to support TSP again via our new site this time at patreon.com slash total saints podcast of course you're a patron of ours before we do appreciate it very much so in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and underpinned by our TSP patrons this is TSP 131. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints final game before the international break saw them take on Slavin Bilic's baggies at St Mary's. It eventually finished 2-0 to Ralph Lads. Um, Steve, as we discussed last week, it was mainly about picking up three points against West Brom. Good, bad or ugly, so job done. Yeah, I mean, it was it was about as comfortable a win as, as you're ever likely to get in, in the Premier League, I think. I mean, barring a sort of 10-minute 10 minute, 10 spell at the start of the second half where we struggled to kind of string three passes together I thought we were we were very comfortable if we needed to go through another another couple of gears it looked like we probably had had that in the tank to do so it was it was an odd game in that it looked quite sort of slow and laboured at times but every so often we just flick the switch and just put on the afterburners and West Brom just could not deal with it basically just everything um, channeling down uh, down either side with the fullbacks and it was it was interesting actually that on BT they they finally picked up on our game plan that basically the the two nominal wide players actually play very sort of narrow and it's that's where the 4222 thing comes from and it's like well how how has it taken you like 18 months um to yeah. to finally 
grasp this system. But yeah, I mean, when when they finally um, picked up on it, you can and they highlight everything and sort of put Gineppo and Armstrong in these sort of big sort of yellow blobs coming down from coming down from some alien spacecraft kind of shows the way the system the way the system is designed to work and obviously today it worked absolutely perfect partially because we had very obliging opponents I think yeah totally it took uh, Ian Dark 24 minutes to at least mention the Leicester score so that's a bit better than normal but um, yeah Dan we'll talk about I, I noticed it I noticed Dark also um, he got the shirts the, wrong didn't he the 6 yeah, yeah. Did, the, did the usual uh, commentator thing of getting it completely wrong it's not yeah. not like he's not like it's his job to know these sort of things or anything is it not at all I mean we all know that Pompey were pain and blue when we stuffed them 4-0 so he should be able to get it right but uh, Dan we'll talk about the goals in a mo but other than uh, sort of 10 minutes or so just after half time as uh, Steve mentioned there at felt which is always a little worrying like Saints were in total control yeah so I couldn't really agree more with what Steve said to be honest if anything you know I think the scoreline probably flattered West Brom I think on another day it could have easily been 3-0 4-0 obviously Adams missed a couple of chances equally they were good saves but you'd like to think from that that close range that you'd finish that one off and Danny Ings didn't score and Saints still won so yeah, it, was a, it was a good day <laughs> I, I've had a few people Dan asking me today to sort of you know ask your opinion I'm not going to but just joking obviously about uh, the reliance on Danny Ings because of course they've not relied on him today so there's been a few people, people tweeting me asking if I was going to quiz the regular journalist about it so uh, I won't do that this week let's see what happens next oh, by uh, all means uh, by all means <laughs> go ahead I mean I was happy to uh, even in the um, discussion uh, on the athletic afterwards there were uh, a couple of people saying, oh, you know, maybe it's time we drop Adams. But then the argument on that is, well, what, what will Obafemi and Long do that Adams can't do? Because yeah, he's yeah. not scoring either. But no, and, yeah. And I mean, there's, a, there's a clear partnership between these two now. Yeah. You can see, yeah, you they can link see up that well, don't they? the link-up play is, is very good. Yeah. 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 And I thought Chad exactly, Adams worked yeah. hard well, uh, again. But I mean, it? I think the piece I did about Ings, look, you know, I think I wasn't... I, th- I tried to make the point that, you know, it is a team game. But if you look at the points per game... Uh, I can't. I don't know off the top of my head, but when Ings isn't in the team, it's a lot less. When he basically, when he's not playing, you know, the points per game goes down dramatically. So, yeah, maybe they do rely on Ings too much. Who knows? Today, obviously not, but any other week. I mean, last week they did. So, what can you say? Indeed, indeed. Uh, Glenn, after some good pressure then, and uh, excellent goalkeeping from Sam Johnston in the baggy sticks. Although, as uh, Dan said there, um, Shadens probably should have scored at least one of them. Um, Musa Gineppo opened the scoring just before half-time. A, a sort of tricky yet neat finish, and that's his uh, first St Mary's goal. So we'll do some wonders for his confidence as well. Yeah, well, um, and he he's a strange player because it, you never seem to know, you know what you're going to get. It's almost like, what has he been told to do? He was taking <laughs> players on today, whereas last week he didn't. And that, that was a, a really confident finish. And it was... I thought both goals illustrated sort of like Ralph's style of play, you know, because we won the ball high up for the first goal and it was a three on three. Um, Gineppo sent, I think it was Livermore sliding completely the wrong way and, and his sort of Cruyff turn on the edge of the box totally through the goalkeeper as well. And that, that made, made the space. It was a really, really good, good finish. Um, it, it's an instinctive thing. And, and that's what he brings. He, he's a very instinctive player, more so than someone like Nathan Redmond. Um, it's, a big, just, it's a big year for Jennifer, I think. Yeah, I yeah. Think, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah you'd it's like always to the, see him get some goals, wouldn't you? I think this year. Yeah. It, it's always the sec. I always think it's the second year with players that have come in from abroad. The first year is kind of a okay. You're getting used to the league, mm-hmm. and unless you're someone like Hammers Rodriguez, who's just brilliant straight away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the mere mortals, it's a year getting used to the league, and then in the second year, you have to produce something. And this was always 
you know, if you take Buffal as an example, he, he never really did it in the second year, a couple of flashes. So what we want to see from Gineppo is more goals, more assists, more more time on the pitch mm. and less time injured and just sort of try and build up a head of steam. And it's and if nothing else, it if he stays fit and does things like that, it puts pressure on Redmond because Redmond hasn't had much pressure for his place for the last year or so. And I think Redmond is the sort of player that needs that. So it was, um, yeah, it was a really good goal by Gineppo. Um, I think he got substituted probably because he got booked because he, he is prone to the odd stupid, I'm going to pull a player back. I, I think he was at risk of p- picking up a second oh, I, book. I think so. he had an issue of his hamstring. Yeah. All oh, right. Fair enough. Yeah. He probably would have come off anyway, to be fair. Redmond was always going to play part of the game. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. No, fair play to the guy. And hopefully it's uh, hopefully it continues. Yeah. And Dan, look, we've spoken about him a lot. You know, just to pick up on your points there, I, I think on on his day, we know already and we've seen enough glimpses that he can really offer Saints uh, you know, something a little different and a, a, an unpredictable sort of threat in that attacking third. And, you know, with the likes of Buffel going, and Ralph obviously mentioned a few weeks ago, winger options at the moment ahead of deadline day are limited. So you, you want someone like him to really stand up this season. Yeah, exactly. I think Adam Leach described him on this podcast before as kind of having that chaos factor, which, you know, which, as Glenn kind of alluded to, you never quite know what he's going to do, which I guess if you're a defender is a bit of a nightmare scenario to be in. But again, I mean, to echo what Glenn said, I think first season you can kind of write off as him adjusting to the league. I mean, he came over and didn't speak a word of English. So that was always going to be a challenge. I think we've seen from all the interviews he's done this week, his English is pretty good now. So I think, you know, it'd be nice to see him kick on, uh, add a few goals to his game. And like Glenn said, if you can put some pressure on Redmond, who really hasn't been challenged at all and doesn't have to do too much and to know he's going to be starting next week it can only be a good thing going forward and if they can get another player in through the door to play in that department then again it's going to put a little bit more pressure on Redmond and might make might make him step up at another level yeah I thought it was interesting I thought Nathan Redmond had a really good sort of half an hour when he came on it was almost like yeah he had, had a kick up the backside of course he's been out injured we know but uh, speaking of uh, unpredictable threats in the attack in third Steve after 43 games in the Premier League without a goal Ori Romeo you know, rifles in an unstoppable volley from 16 yards or so. I think James Ward-Prowse said after the game he wasn't sure whether it was a tackle or a shot. <laughs> well, it's, oh, it's the old uh, Colton Palmerism, isn't it? Where um, yeah, his, uh, his, first, his first touch is further than most people tackle it usually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, was a, it was a great finish, particularly given one thing that Glenn Hoddle pointed out on commentary was that kind of volleying the ball is kind of relatively straightforward from a technique perspective if you're unchallenged but when you've got a player basically right next to you and potentially shoving you off the ball all of a sudden volleying the ball is actually incredibly difficult and he's not only managed to make the connection he's also directed it right in right into the corner where the keeper's got absolutely no chance um yeah, have, think- you, have you have you heard his interview though he's basically said he wasn't aiming anywhere <laughs> Just, just get some, just I get guess some. if you're not aiming anywhere, you can't ever miss. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, let's. I mean, let's face it. You wouldn't be surprised if a player like that wasn't aiming in any general, any specific place, would you? But yeah, it was. It was good. I mean, he's he's not been. I, I think I'm right in saying that's his first touch in the opposition penalty area. At, certainly, at least this. At least this season, maybe even for like about six months or something ridiculous because <laughs> yeah. it's been what 42 games I think 43 without... games yeah without a Premier League goal yeah. so yeah I mean you, you obviously don't expect him to score but I think ultimately you, you kind of need your midfield players to step up and 
and get occasional goals because then all of a sudden you're not putting such ludicrous pressure on one individual player. And I mean, obviously Romeo's not in the team to score goals, but it's always a nice, nice little added bonus when he when he can add add um, a couple of those to his game as a season. Yeah, and, ju- and just briefly, Steve, on that as well. Um, I think it was the 69th minute he scored. Obviously, we spoke about uh, West Brom having that sort of five ten minutes after half time. It felt, you know, as a Saints fan, I still sit there. I, I think I'm more nervous these days when we're winning a game than when we're drawing or losing. So you sort of find yourself fidgeting around in the chair. But I suppose the point I'm making, Steve, that goal came almost arguably just at the right time and effectively killed the game. Oh yeah, the game was done as soon as that went in. I mean, it kind of came. A little bit out of the blue we um while we'd we'd kind of ridden the storm that they'd kind of meekly thrown at us i suppose for the first sort of 10 15 minutes of the second half it didn't really look like we were gonna we were sort of banging on the door or anything like that at that stage um so it did kind of cut, still come out of the blue a little bit but yeah i mean it, it killed the game completely and from there it was a case of well do can we be bothered to kind of put the pressure on and go for three or four i mean we had a cup we had a couple of half chances i think johnston flapped a, a free kick that war prowse uh, swung in and everybody missed but yeah i mean it was it was plain sailing for the remaining 20 minutes wasn't it yeah glenn i called it professional earlier i think everyone looked uh, organised and put a good shift in front to back um, we're still yet to concede a goal when Yannick Vestergaard has been on the pitch this season but among a number of standouts I thought Carl Walker-Peters again looked excellent both directions 12 million pounds you know Daniel Levy has this reputation for getting good deals but actually it looks a little bit like Saints have potentially pulled Spurs pants down on this one uh, yeah yes and no I mean I, I, I think there's a reasonable fee for a player of his sort of age and experience at the time he, he, he wasn't going to get a game at Spurs and if, if, he, if he'd stayed there he, st- he still wouldn't be in the team so he's come to us for 12 million quid for us it's, it's looking like we've signed an excellent player for a reasonable fee um, and he's, he's just getting better and better in each game in a market where you see a player who's never played in the Premier League going for 23, 24 million which is what happened during the week with Rian Brewster um, 12, 12 million for him and he, he's he's ready made for us and if he stays fit he'll play every game this season and and he's 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 looked good I mean he was he looks like he's got a goal in him as well I'd expect him to score sort of like two or three goals but only and, on his right foot his left foot yeah, looks I mean, like an absolute waste of space from, a, yeah, from an attacking perspective it's, it's interesting because he you know he's he's played a lot at left back as well Mm. So I'm not sure how quite how that'll work with um with no left foot, but um mm. Nathaniel Klein used to do that as well, and he, did. and he didn't have great left foot either. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was I was impressed with Walker Peters. Um, I was impressed with Bertrand over the left hand side. He did a sort of like normal, understated sort of job. Um, and with those two, I just think in the modern game, the the fullbacks being natural fullbacks on the correct sides is is so important and. Those two give us a real good sort of balance to the side, and it and it enables, as Steve was talking about earlier on, the the sort of Armstrong, Gineppo, Redmond, whoever is playing in the wide positions or the nominal wide positions, to sort of push in field, and and if those two can carry on doing their job for the whole season, we'll be in a we'll be in a good place. Yeah, it was only when I was uh, looking him up earlier, I noticed that Carl Walker Peters' middle name is Leonardus, so there's a, a rare middle name for you. Um, Dan, I was just briefly going to touch on, I know you did a, a good analytical piece on him in The Athletic this week, and we obviously spoke about his creativity for the goal at Burnley, but he's someone that's definitely catching your eye as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, what? what's even better is he's a generally a really nice guy as well, really nice to talk to, you know, answers everything, honestly, when you kind of ask him anything. And, yeah, I mean, it's it was a kind of a win-win for him, wasn't it? You know, he's 
leaving Tottenham was probably a little bit tough, but he knew he was going to come to a, a club with a coach who was going to play how he wanted to play, and he was going to play pretty much every week unchallenged because I don't think Jan Valery is any close to you know putting any pressure on him if we're being totally honest about it. And I know you mentioned the kind of the deal looked like um, Saints getting a better deal than Spurs. I guess from their point of view, you know, Saints got money for. Hoiberg and he didn't want to be at the club Spurs wanted him so it's probably a win-win for both clubs really I think you know if my maths is right so please correct me if I'm wrong is Kyle Walker-Pierce essentially cost three million pound mm-hmm. would I be right in thinking that Some, yeah just about that yeah yeah and then Hoiberg ended up costing Spurs three million pounds so I think you know both clubs have probably won in that situation mm, totally just um, finally then, Dan, back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. The first time we've done that, if my stats are right, since uh, the nil-nil back-to-back draws against Bournemouth and Newcastle under Mark Hughes in October 2018. I know everyone remembers that Newcastle home game is an absolute classic. Um, six points, top half, although we were when uh, I did my notes. Three different scorers as well, Dan. So all in all, a great seven days. I know you said uh, a couple of weeks back after the uh, Spurs game that we could go to Burnley and win. We could beat West Brom. Six points from four games. Everyone would be be happy. I sort of s- sat here smirking thinking no chance of that and here we are no exactly uh, it's almost a shame that there's an international break now to kind of halt any the momentum that they they built up I'm sure Hassan Hutter would prefer it if there wasn't an international break but so be it and again I think another kind of important stat to to pick up on is I think that's seven wins in a row now against promoted teams which they're the teams you want to be beating they're the sort of foundation of getting points on the board aren't they you know 18 points last season from promoted teams through this season from just playing West Brom so yeah I mean all in all it's positive going into the break You're listening to the Total Saints podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC With no Saints game to preview next week we're going to finish by reflecting briefly on our two TSP Fantasy Premier Leagues TSP FPL and also TSP Patrons only ahead of our deadline day and international chat so just to give some brief scores um, which are correct as of the close of business I've put here the 3rd of October so that's the Saturday um, our TSP FPL top 5 in reverse order is 1885 FC Kevin Jones on 229 points in 4th Piemonte Calcio Ed Baker 232 3rd is flying with Ings, Ben, Breers, 2-3-3. Second is Onomar, teams <laughs> Fuchs, uh, Brandon Poole, 2-3-4. And number one is simply Redmond, Dom Keenan, 2-4-7. So all quite tight at the top of there. Uh, in terms of us four, I'm not going to give positions out for obvious reasons in a minute. But uh, Dan, you're on 184 points. This is a man that said he didn't take it very seriously. Um, Glenn's on 172 points. Glenn's team name is Tonic Light Lamina Arse or L- Lemon Arse. How are you, pronoun- <laughs> how are you pronouncing that, Glenn? However you want to pronounce it. <laughs> Tonic like lemon ass. Um, Steve's on 161 points and uh, I'm on <clears throat> 129 points, although I'm paying the price of only having four starters in the first week and Harry Maguire, who's uh, shelling goals in. So that's our TSP FPL. Um, we also have a TSP patrons only league, um, which is just for our TSP patrons. Again, the scores are correct as of the 3rd of October. So in fifth, we have no chance 11, Matt Kemp, 194. Fourth is Swamp Donks rebooted, Andy Kingston, 202. Three is Ralph's Rampages, Mark Harper, 203. In second is Saint No Joke, Phil Cook, 207. And first is Cornered Badgers, Steve Allen, 211. You certainly don't want to be uh, fighting against Cornered Badgers. Anyway, well done to everyone towards the top of both leagues. And for those of us a little further down, plenty of time to turn things around, hopefully.
Before we move on to briefly touch on the upcoming international break and also discuss transfer deadline day, I had a note from one of our patrons earlier this week about unplanned toilet breaks. Nick Reed followed up on Eric Dyer's brief exit to answer Nature's Call against Chelsea on Tuesday night, and he wrote, Ben, rolling on from the fallout of Eric Dyer being caught short during the week, do your panellists remember any similar situations with Saints players? I have a vague memory of Terry Curran relieving himself on the pitch, being circled by the team during a League Cup match in the 70s. Was I hallucinating? Um, so, Nick, I've done my research. I don't think you were hallucinating, although I'm not sure if you actually saw it. So I looked into this. Um, you're absolutely right. Monday the 12th of March, 1979, um, five days before the League Cup final versus Notts Forest. Um, it was heading into extra time, so unlike Eric Dyer, probably fair enough. But um, there's actually some notes here from a Laurie McMenery diary, I believe, and it says Southampton have to play an FA Cup fifth round replay against Ron Atkinson's West Bromwich Albion five days before the League Cup final. Laurie Cunningham scored first, but David Peach equalised from the spot late on to take the game into extra time. McMenemy was giving a team talk on the pitch, but when winger Terry Curran kept trying to interrupt, he is not the wisest of players tactically and feeling that he would have little to contribute that would help us, I ignored him, said Laurie McMenemy. Excuse me, boss, he said, holding his hand up. Exasperated, McMenemy said, what is it then? Can I go to the toilet, he said. The other players dissolved in laughter. So it doesn't actually clarify whether he went on the pitch or elsewhere. But of course, Stephen Glenn, I'm sure you both remember more recently, uh, this was the only one I could think of, Jason Punchin, of course, in January 2013, during Maurizio Pochettino's first game at St Mary's, went one step further. Because I think, Steve, Punchin left the pitch for an alleged number two. Is that right? Yeah. Um, that's it. That seems to be the common, commonly accepted explanation of what happened there. I mean, it was it was very similar to the Dyer situation um, last week, where basically he run off, runs off down the tunnel, and nobody's really got an idea of what's going on. I think people, like people in the stand, I think maybe assumed that he he'd taken a cut to his head or something and needed to get some stitches or or something like that, and then. Obviously, word got around sort of through social media and people finding out on like because the game was on TV, wasn't it? I think so. They so they obviously had their touchline reporter presumably following in and and bloody watching him. And <laughs> and so then obviously that word got back to got back to Sky and and then th- out through to to everybody in the ground eventually. And um, obviously he came came back on to to sort of big cheer if I remember rightly. That's that's right. And, I think there was. Well, and, all, and also yeah. also the also the fans were chanting. Yeah, they were. Know, we can't repeat it here because he, he then had the goal, he, uh, goal celebration against um, Manchester City. I think a few few days later when we won three one. That's right. That's uh, right. He scored and his his goal celebration was to run into the northern corner and basically pretend to wipe his ass. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I think there were, as you say, Glenn, chance of Jason Punch and he uh, SHITs when he wants. I think it was something like that. But I suppose when you got to go, you got to go. Um, Glenn, do you, just briefly on our toilet chat, um, do you remember any other incidents, Saints or not Saints related from the years that you can remember? Because I'm struggling to think of any others for Nick. Uh, no. no. Gary Linter on the... Oh, yeah, Gary Linter. Of course, yeah. yeah. What was that? World Cup um, 90, wasn't it? Yes. World Cup 1990 yeah. against Ireland. Yeah, and... Yeah. Um, that was that was a shite game as well. So that kind of sort of, <laughs> yeah, some, literally sort of fitted in quite nicely. Yeah, that, yeah. perfect. So, all right. Well, that's probably enough toilet uh, talk. But there's a few examples for you, Nick. Um, thanks for the question. Let's finish the pod with a chat about a manic 24 hours or so ahead of a frustrating two weeks for club managers. It's deadline day and international breaks. is the Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. 
Saints now face a couple of weeks off club action with the latest international break upon us. Um, Steve, as Glenn and I sort of discussed with Martin Simmons recently, Saints are starting to get a bit more recognition again on the international scene with, among others, the likes of Danny Ings, Ward Prowse, Musa Gineppo, Stuart Armstrong, Vestergaard and Jan Bednarek, etc., all caught up by their respective nations for this round of games. Um, I suppose while it's frustrating for Ralph, it's good to see them getting a chance to test themselves and particularly Scotland, I think, have got a fairly competitive tie this week so hopefully you know while it's good to see them away you also want to see them come back healthy yeah I mean obviously we had we had the issue with I think part of the part of the problem with obviously with the sort of strange calendar for this year is that you had a round of international competitive international games literally the week before the season started and obviously one of our key players Stuart Armstrong comes back injured from from those games Um, so automatically we're kind of um, of a disposition to kind of think that this arrangement's a bit of a shambles, um, and I kind of I think UEFA have made have possibly even exacerbated the situation because not only do you have a week of internationals, they've also decided they're going to crowbar an extra game in, mm. and it's a friendly for pretty much everybody. The only the only the only teams who are playing competitive games in all three games are the teams taking place taking part in the playoffs the postponed um euro 2020 playoffs so obviously scotland have got their game against um israel um coming up this week um and the winner if i mean if they get through they'll then have a, they'll then have the final against either serbia or norway that's right next month and yeah i mean it's they're they're trying to cram too much in the the they, nations they, the nations league could wait for me yeah and i and i say that as someone who's who absolutely loves the idea of the of of the Nations League and making sure that you've got competitive games against teams of a, of a similar level um, throughout the year, rather than the complete waste of time that European Championships and World Cup qualifiers have largely become when you get England and Germany sticking 10 past all the minnows. No, nobody learns anything from those games. Nobody enjoys them, really, apart from Harry Kane scoring five five goals in a game probably next time. Yeah, UEFA have made a bit of a pig's ear of this, and and I can und- I I've got a lot of lot of sympathy for club managers, um, given the tight timescales this time around. On Friday, ahead of the West Brom game, I asked Ralph about the international breaks, bearing in mind we have one now, had one in a, a month ago, and uh, can expect another one in mid-November. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I wouldn't be unhappy if they would uh, put the international breaks later in the season or some one different point. But you must also understand that they, they didn't have games for nearly, I don't know, one year. So it was definitely also for them very important to get some games. Uh, although the traveling and everything is still a big problem, there's for me the, the bigger concern because uh, what do you do when you go in a country that is a high risk country? Uh, and uh, so traveling is still not the, the best you can do in the moment, I think. But it is how it is, and finally we have to take it. Uh, we know that it is getting a very, very busy season, uh, but we are in the end happy that we can play because there are so, so many teams uh, out there that are still waiting for, for coming back to, to, to the sports business, and so we, we, we are definitely happy that we can do it. Glenn, Ralph obviously played it with a, a fairly straight bat there, um, admitting, of course, that you know there hasn't been much international action. They do need to get some games in. But it must be annoying for a manager in club level trying to get results and build some momentum in a competitive league like the Premier League with the majority of your senior squad disappearing every three or four weeks. Yeah, very much so. I think they could live with that. A problem, especially for a team like us, not, not blessed with a massive squad, 
is, as we talked about earlier on, is players potentially coming back injured. Um, I mean, we had Armstrong come back injured last time. We had Danny Ings bash heads with Kieran Trippier, I think it was. That could have potentially been another injury, and that was just training. You know, so it, it's a real double-edged thing. I mean, obviously, you want Danny Ings to be included in the England side because it makes him realise that he can do it while still at Southampton. He doesn't have to move to a bigger club. Um, War Prowse, similar sort of thing, though he's unlikely to be as in demand at at bigger clubs, it's a great thing for him to progress through. So, yeah, it, it is a funny thing. I, I kind of lament internationals now because I, I used to be so into it when I was younger. I, you know, remember sort of like um, being so enthusiastic about watching England games, and I, I just find it very, very difficult now. A, a lot of the, a lot of the magic is gone for me. So th- there is part of me that just wishes our players were never involved. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. but involved they are, and it's good for them as professionals and um, and and fair play. Let's uh, let's hope they all do well. Though I will say, Stuart Armstrong and Scotland, I, I find this nation league playoff thing where you can basically be absolute garbage for two years and still qualify for a major tournament. I just find that Bulgaria in the playoffs as well. Mm, Interestingly, just by finishing bottom of England's um, qualifying group (laughs) and being, and being racist. There's a few of them. So, you know, it's just, I I think it's a new low for football that you're, you're basically rewarding teams for being garbage and and giving them a, a route into the, because what, what will come next is that, some teams will play for it. Mm. They'll they'll be throwing matches because they think, well, there's an easier route to this. We'll just have to beat, you know, Montenegro in a playoff or whatever, yeah. and, and we can get through. So why should we try in these more difficult games? Yeah. So, it's basically to put a stop to um, Holland and Italy having a shambles of a two years and failing to yeah, qualify. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, as I said, let's hope they all come back uh, safe and sound and they're looked after properly. Um, just to finish then, let's move on to something uh, equally as exciting, transfer deadline day. Um, Dan, at time of recording, we've just over 24 hours until the summer window closes. Uh, Ralph uh, earlier and then Saints eventually uh, announced the signing of um, French under-21 midfielder Ibrahima Diallo. So that takes the club spending this summer to around about £35 million, I think I've worked it out at. Um, obviously, good to get it done, Dan, and uh, it sounds like there was a bit of competition sniffing around for him as, as well. So sounds like an exciting signing. Yeah, um, by all intents and purposes, um, you know, Southampton weren't the only team interested in uh, Diallo. I think Arsenal were admirers. I think they actually asked, asked about him back in January. Uh, Leicester were another team said to be kind of tracking him, seeing how he's getting on. And Monaco, the, the team that he left to go to, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but uh, Stade Brestois, or I think that's how you may pronounce it. I'm not too sure. Sounds French. I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. So, yeah, I mean, by all intents and purposes, yeah, it seems like on the face of it, a good signing. It's not, he's not overly expensive. He's young. Uh, you know, people talk quite highly of him. You know, it's obviously coming to a different league. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard making an impact straight away. I think someone I spoke to kind of said that you know, physically it might take him a while because he's not the most kind of physical player to play in the number six role, but on the ball he is very good. And obviously, you know, that will suit Hassan who's down to the ground if he's quite good on the ball and can get it forward quickly to the, you know, the, the players ahead of him. So yeah, let's, let's, let's wait and see. I think it's important to not expect him to tear up trees straight away. And, I, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier on, I, I think this season... It'll be a case of, you know, you'll play when one of Ward Prowse or Romeo is unavailable for whatever reason. Um, or 
or you know like that game we had against Spurs where we had to take Romeo off before he got sent off it's just nice to have an option of someone who's a, a natural in that position so I I I would personally be surprised if this this guy's a, a, a first team regular at any point this season but it, it's it's another option but transfer transfer window day I, I don't get too excited I've you, Usually, because of the sort of players Saints are looking at, I've never heard of any of them anyway. Unlike, <laughs> unlike everyone on Twitter, of course, who knows, who know, who know everything about everyone. Um, so you know, so I'm not, I'm not doing cartwheels because we've signed this guy. Let's see how, let's see how he goes. But you know, I just ask everyone to be a little bit patient and uh, you know, see how he gets on. I well, I did ask enough, Ralph yeah. about that ahead of the game actually, because obviously Salisu was brought in and is described by everyone at the club as sort of one for the future. Whether you know Diallo is the same, and when Ralph answered it, it was fairly, you know, obvious that no, this guy I expect him to come in and start challenging immediately. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long it is before he kind of is given, given his chance, because you know Prowsey isn't going to get dropped, is he? And Romeo hasn't done anything that warrants him being dropped either. So you know, it'll be interesting I, to see I, what I he do, does. I do, go. I do wonder whether I'm the only one slightly concerned with War Prowse's form so far this season. Yeah, he's not been brilliant. He's not I thought he was. I, I thought he was really wasteful. I mean, his, his set piece delivery was excellent um, today, actually. But um, his sort of passing in open play, I thought, was quite wasteful at times. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. He hasn't been. You know, he's not. I mean, towards the end of last season, he was really good. I thought. You know, doing all the yeah. all the right things. But this season, I mean, it almost looks like he's kind of gone back to what he was doing before, and that was just running around a lot. You know, and making a, an odd tackle here and there. But I'm sure. You know, I'm sure there's no doubt here come good again. It might just be a, a phase he's going through or something. Well, Steve, just on uh, Diallo then, there's a, a good podcast I found on him from June this year via um, Get French Football News. So I shared it on uh, my Twitter feed on Friday if anyone wants to listen to it. But in summary, um, some of the key points that the the guys on there raised, so these are a couple of French football experts. One of them, I believe, has uh, seen a fair bit of Diallo. Said, um, and the, I know Dan's done a piece on it, so I, I don't think too much of this will contradict that. Um, in summary, Steve, he's very comfortable on the ball. He holds his own. For example, they created against Toulouse was where they first noticed him. Ironically, of course, one of our other targets, Ibrahim uh, Songari, uh, was uh, who they said that Actually, he'd matched quite physically during that game, despite being a slightly smaller stature. He's a box-to-box player, good at winning the ball back. Um, they said he, he doesn't get dribbled past much, so um, you know he's good at winning the ball back and said that he tends to do it without fouling quite a lot as well, so that's the opposite of Oriol Romeo. Um, essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially a smart tackler. Um, they said he's strong on the ball, a good dribbler, he's fast and pacey, um, but they also said his ability to penetrate the final third with the ball, driving forwards, etc., etc., is good. Um, they said he has a very good range of passing short and long and um, they actually joked that um, if you're heading towards the breast goal and here's something chasing you there's a very high chance it'll be Ibrahima Diallo um, they actually compared him I know Dan's um, piece compares him to Verratti uh, I think and they compared him to uh, or said he's been compared as the next N'Golo Kante which I know there's probably a few of those players out there so we should take a bit of a pinch of salt with that but they also outlined that he's very calm and mature on the ball for his age of course he's only 21 they said he would be best in a side who is positioned uh, possession based sorry and or susceptible to quick counter attack so again this was recorded in June when I think he was linked with Arsenal but it's quite interesting because you know susceptible to quick counter attacks does actually sound like Saints um, and they also said that you know he can help to penetrate sides that are stubborn you know sit back again we've had a few issues with that so in summary their two experts say you know he's someone that's got bags of potential and can go on to be a, a good fo- footballer I suppose Steve as Glenn said 
it's important from a Saints point of view again only 21 years old not to put too much pressure on him before even kicking a ball but he does sort of sound like what we need yeah I mean the the problem I kind of have with that description is they've basically described the perfect player um there's there's no there's no there's absolutely no downside to the player that they've described there and so I mean kind of where are his probably where they did a podcast on him where are his weaknesses I mean yeah maybe on that podcast they they describe his the sort of the weaker aspects of his game but yeah I mean I think if you're labeling someone the new N'Golo Kante then I think you're kind of setting himself setting him up for a bit of a bit of a fall I think because I think that's that's a that's a very like extraordinarily high level um for someone to get to yeah so to clarify I mean having listened to it they are saying that they other people have compared him not they weren't comparing him specifically themselves so uh, um but what i would say is um you know i think their weaknesses that they potentially discuss is the fact that as dan alluded to earlier he's only played sort of 20 odd games at a high level yeah i mean in inexperience is is going to be a kind of natural thing for for someone of that age i guess let's let's not forget we we bought morgan schneidlin at very young age from strasbourg and he was being kept out of the team in league one by the likes of paul watton for a year and a half and then all of a sudden given given two or three years experience and improve improving his own game and learning how how the game works in this country which is obviously different to the the environment that he grew up in all of a sudden he's become he became this absolutely fantastic um, all-round midfield player and i mean there's there's that's that's kind of the i think that's kind of the the line we're looking to go down and i mean you never as ever, you're never going to have 100% success rate. But if we can, I mean, if we found another one of those um, types of players, then yeah, I mean, we'll I mean, presumably we won't hold on to him for very long. But um, if we can get get maybe two, three, even four years out of him at a high level, then yeah, great. Yeah. Well, with the deal now confirmed, maybe it outlines that when it comes to nurturing young talent, <laughs> breast isn't always best. <laughs> Oh, God. Dear, oh dear. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to milk loads of breaststrokes here. Uh, right, before we move on, I should just quickly mention, having seen some uh, more of the Song Gary details this week, and I think a few people have heard as well, and listening to Ralph, etc., on Friday, that it does appear, obviously, failing to secure a work permit rather than uh, him choosing PSV over Saints necessarily, as we might have speculated last week, was indeed the reasoning behind his move not being completed, understandable if so. Um, everything in life happens for a reason, of course, so hopefully... Diallo will deliver in equal measures. Um, just finally, before I come to Dan, Glenn, uh, I know you said earlier you're not overly excited about the uh, the deadline day, etc., etc. But have you got any hopes that Saints might pull? A, I know you spoke before about wanting to try and get a winger and a striker. So are you, are you keeping your fingers crossed for anything particular to come in the door at Staplewood or St Mary's tomorrow? Or are you kind of not really blah, uh, you know fussed about it? Um, I'd be more excited about a striker than a winger, to be honest, because we, I don't think our backup striker options are good enough. Um, we could do with another one who's actually capable of hitting the net to put pressure on Adams to do the same, it, you know, in the same way that Diallo will come in and put pressure on Romeo or more Prowse. So I, I think that's that's an area. I, I think that Michael Obafemi could do with going out on loan. He needs to learn how to play 90 minutes, basically. Um, it's all very well being a five ten minute player, but he needs to sort of like up his general level of fitness and his his general level of play over a longer period of time. So I'd like to see him go out on loan, but only if we get another striker in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we, we've got we've got three wingers, basically. We've also got Smallbone around. So there, there are, and Josh Sims is still around. So there's, there's players for the wide positions, but uh, I, I'd, I'd like to see a striker come in 
But, Charlie uh, Austin's I, available. He certainly <laughs> is. Do I think we'll get one? No, probably not. It, it seemed because that's not even been mentioned. I think Ralph has mentioned uh, wide player to replace Buffal. Um, but he's not mentioned a striker but uh, there you yeah. go yeah well Dan just coming to you then finally and Dan's transfer corner if you get your transfer radar out or your tra- transfer monitor out or something like that Dan on a scale of <laughs> 0 to 10 10 being incredibly likely 0 being not very likely how excited and or optimistic should Saints fans be for tomorrow based on any conversations you've had this week and I know there's been a few the first thing to say is there is definitely a desire you know behind the scenes to get someone in maybe two players tomorrow whether that that is feasible or not uh, is another thing as Glenn alluded to obviously a replacement for Buffal is on the agenda and then uh, you know we've all seen tonight the Brandon Williams story um, about the Manchester United fullback I mean after tonight's game I'm not sure why you know, I don't <laughs> want to loan out any defenders but you never know um, or why anybody would want to loan them in yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus wept they were bad yeah. wow <laughs> It's yeah. like it's like signing defenders from relegated clubs who've let in 100 goals, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, you know, these Norwich defenders and Bournemouth well, I don't defenders. know, Andy Robertson signed Liverpool from Hull, didn't he? Mm. That is true. When they got relegated. <laughs> but he, yeah. was, he was a bit ropey to start with, I think. Yeah, but that's one in a million. <laughs> he doesn't have to do any defending, though. That's <laughs> true. true. Yeah, well, they're looking at the well, score at the time of recording, the fact they're four one down. Maybe he should be doing more of defending as well. If I just start on Williams, as he's the name that has obviously come out tonight. Um, yeah, he's, you know, I think Southampton would like him on loan. Uh, again, that all depends on A, really whether United will send him out and B, whether he wants to go. Um, you know, he might look at tonight and think, well, I fancy my chances of getting back in the team. The the reason behind getting another fullback in is that you know you've got Bertrand and Walker Peters. If we're being honest, Vokins isn't ready. I don't think he's quite ready to be a backup yet for whatever reason. Hassan Hoodwood just doesn't. I don't think he rates Jan Valery all that much either. So they're looking at a fullback who could cover both Bertrand and Walker Peters. Williams is said to kind of fit that bill. So, yeah, that's the thinking behind a fullback is essentially to to provide cover to Bertrand or Walker-Peters. And I guess from Williams' point of view, if he does want to make the move, I mean, you could probably argue that Hassan Hurt was a better coach than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm sure that might be up to debate. No, People I, I, think, I think there's absolutely zero debate. I've whatsoever. got my hand up, Dan. <laughs> well, I'm just being, you know, I'm just being diplomatic. Yeah, so, you know, there's that argument. Um, I mean, and if, if he's nowhere near the United team... Want- if he was at Southampton, he's one step closer, possibly, to, to playing first-team football. So, yeah, that's that. I mean, if it's a deal that Southampton can do and it suits them, then, yeah, they'll do it. Uh, obviously, I think the Buffal replacement doesn't need kind of too much explaining. You know, in terms of what would they prefer, a winger or a fullback, I really think, at, you know, I think it would be a case of, you know, they could get a fullback but couldn't get a winger, then... They're, they're kind of thinking, well, there's 12 games until January. They can continue working on that and then possibly get a winger in then. If they can't get a fullback, but they can get a winger, then again, January's around the corner. They can go back for a fullback at that point. Uh, in terms of outgoings, you know, I think it'll be a, a fairly busy day. Obviously, Guido Carrillo is, looks nailed on to be um, returning to Spain with, I'm probably going to pronounce their name wrong, Elche or Elche. I'm not too sure how you'd pronounce that. Obviously, Wesley Elche, I think. That's all but, you know, going to go through. Um, 
he'll be joining Lazio on on a season long loan, and then Buffal will be returning to again. I'm probably going to say this name <laughs> I was wrong. Say it's another Ongay pronunciation or, for you, Dan. Ongez. Yeah, Ongay or Ongez. 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 <laughs> Either way, whichever one. Yeah. Uh, the team he started his career at. Um, so I think I'm hearing that's a free transfer, which sounds absolutely mental from our perspective. Mm. Yeah, I don't think you're you're too far wrong there, Steve. If I'm being if I'm being honest, I think it's. You know, I think if they receive a fee, if they get one at all, I mean, I, I'm not too sure they are getting one on him. It's a case of the wages won't be on the book, which I think is how they're kind of possibly viewing it. Essentially, who's going to kind of pay decent money for him? I'm not too sure. And then it's a case of do you risk it and think, well, no one's going to pay decent money for him. So let's just keep him uh, and then he can go for nothing next get, year. Yeah, got, you get you got, get the rest. You get the rest of the season out of him where if, mean, if, you if, know if, he's if, capable of doing something. But if Hassan Hootel doesn't want him in the team mm. and just doesn't isn't going to pick him regardless. You know, he has been available since the start of the season. You know, Bufau yeah. has been. You can pick him from whenever the season started, beginning of September. You know, if Rafa doesn't fancy him at all, then there's an argument. Well, why? Should we really be paying a player X amount a week when he's not going to be playing? Well, if you, um, if you imagine he's on, I bet he's on more than this, but if you imagine he's on 40 grand a week or something, I bet he's on more than that. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's two, two million, million quid a year, it? isn't it? So for someone that hasn't, who doesn't fancy. Yeah, I mean, look, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, you know, the players that are going to go out the door tomorrow, they haven't been really, they haven't been good signings. They've essentially all been a waste of money. You know, Buffal had a moment of brilliance against West Brom. But other than that, not a lot else really stands out. Uh, so it's a sad state of affairs that they pay decent money for him and he's going to be going for nothing. But that just says a lot more about their recruitment at the time. It does indeed. It does indeed. Well, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, suffice to say, if anything does start moving, Dan Sheldon at Dan Sheldon Sport will be one of the first reliable people over it all, I'm sure. So if you're not following Dan and you listen to the pod, start doing that. No pressure, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> if I could, my phone would be off all day tomorrow. <laughs> Just follow Saints News and Views. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to Total Saints Podcast. That's it for this week's episode of Total Saints Podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this week's ramblings. We're going to take a break ourselves next week, partly because there is no game for Saints and partly because it's my 10th wedding anniversary and I don't really fancy uh, It's Me or the Podcast conversation with Mrs S. Around the corner will be our next Red and White Insight and a European-based international supporters club alongside one or two trickier-looking fixtures for Saints. We'll be back after the next one post-Chelsea. Until then... Thanks for listening to Steve, Glenn and Dan for their thoughts and comments. Have a good couple of weeks and keep marching in.
days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.